Governor Brown signs a law allowing utilities to charge ratepayers for last year's wildfires. Verizon throttled the fire department to limited data during the wildfires. And a new California law legalizes the sale of homemade food. That's what's coming up in this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So let's hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and talk some California politics. What up? Hello, everybody. Oh, it's beautiful California. Another beautiful evening. A bunch of beautiful stories. Um, Once again... All three, all three uh, story slots are filled by California-specific topics. Yeah. That's all we do, baby. Last week, you covered the propositions. That one was a little drier. Props are never fun. Um, Especially when... More educational. How could it be so dry if we were talking about water? <laughs> but uh, We yes. really need to get a rim shot sound effect. I'll be here all week. <laughs> hey, there, there we go. Going. There we go. Uh, lots of jokes and facts on this episode, all for free, which is amazing. True. Damn straight. Uh, anybody got anything to offer before we kick this thing off? Free James Woods. Yeah. Free James Woods. Yeah, we, uh, what, what kind of hashtag campaign can we start for That this? one's already going. Is I've it really? That one, yeah. Free James Woods? No, yeah. I like it. He got banned from the Twitterverse. Gnarly. If anyone thinks Twitter's not left-leaning, you know, might want to check it at the door. But I would have to... Uh, well, Look, I'll give credit. So, I'll right? give right. I'll give credit where credit's due. I think Dorsey came out two or three weeks ago in an interview and said, "Yeah, you know, honestly, most of the people that work in an organization do lean left." Well, you see it from Google, uh, right? Well, right. I mean, there's a, I, at least I, I appreciate that level of candor. I mean, people well, can take it to the next step and realize, well, then that obviously affects and influences how you handle things. But at least you're willing to be honest that you know that you employ a lot of liberals. One thing I noticed uh, the other day, actually, because my company does digital marketing, we do a lot of Facebook advertising. Now, when you go on the dashboard to set up your advertisements, there's a an advisory that comes up that if you're going to put up sponsored content that is a news article, you have to go through a vetting process now. Mm. I don't know what that entails because I don't do a lot of publishing of sponsoring of news stories, but I think it's interesting that you know, obviously Facebook's trying to... I guess, get rid of some of the fake news, but then you're wondering, well, what's the vetting process? You know, is it a bunch of Vox and... Ba- not to mention back to their whole business, the point of their business and the algorithms of whether it's vetted or not, do you see it and who sees right. it? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what They're in the ultimate control of that. If exactly. They, if they get rid, if they ban Vox, Slate, maybe even BuzzFeed, I'd, I'd, I'd be a little bit more optimistic about well, well, their well, whole... You're looking for an even playing field? I know. No. Bobby. 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 I do that. Bobby, and, and Bobby, then I, Bobby. I quote, you know, the Constitution and all that kind of stuff. Good yeah. Lord. That's the wrong answer, I, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. First story. Governor Brown signs law allowing utilities to charge ratepayers for costs related to the 2017 wildfires. This one's coming out of uh, Sacramento. He made some people upset on this one, didn't he? This one's yeah. This keep is going. <laughs> this is the funny spiral we're in. It's basically a utility bailout. That's what it was. 
Jerry Brown signed a measure allowing utilities to bill their customers to pay for future legal settlements stemming from the devastating 2017 wildfires, even if the blazes are blamed on the company's mismanagement. The bill is aimed at preventing bankruptcy for PG&E, the nation's largest utility, by revenue faces uh, billions of dollars in liability if investigators determine its equipment caused the Tubbs fire that destroyed thousands of homes and killed 22 people in Santa Rosa last year. This is an interesting story that we're kind of revisiting now after the fact because we, we talked about this in one of our earlier, one of the first few episodes we did. My stance on it was, is this just the price we pay or, and by price we pay, I mean, um, fires and even, I guess, fatalities for being able to enjoy electricity everywhere. Right, because let the switch, can, and there it is. It's right? a good, it's a can good we, question. Can we guarantee that infrastructure won't come down when Mother Nature intervenes? We already got established in a previous study that PG&E goes above and beyond the maintenance standard. It's not like these were derelicted lines. Yeah, they were in canyons that had like a hundred mile an hour whipped winds that brought down a line and started a fire. I, it was also one of the, you know, like we're going to the Thomas fire. It was like a, a Sentinel Santa Ana unprecedented like 12 days of poor conditions i don't know if bankrupting the power company is the answer right yeah. well then we just it, get another uh another because this is what happens in, right? like we talked about yeah. this before what ends up happening is the, the rate payer is who's gonna see the issue right or even take it okay say like they can't raise the rate take it to its natural take, take it through to fruition okay don't raise the rate they get sued they're bankrupt. They can no longer operate. Yeah. So what do we do now? Does that, does that mean problem they, solved? And they turn off the power. Right. Well. So and, and so the Edison and PG&E have taken this stance now that okay, fine. If we're going to be liable for this type type of stuff, even when we do everything right, and we're just going to turn the power off when there's poor weather events. Right. That was and then people are like, oh, you can't do that. I can't be without electricity. And then you start talking about people on medical equipment and everything else. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't force them to keep the power on because they get fined for every resident that's out of power for like every second. And they're willing to take the fines versus taking bankruptcy. We talked about this, I think, the first time uh, many podcasts ago. They've overconstrained the problem. Right. There's there's no overlay. You know, you think about a Venn diagram, right? There's no overlap anymore. If the if if everyone gets what they want that's at the table in terms of what PG E should do, it's an unsolvable problem. Right. Because they can't be a private corporation and then at the same time not be a private corporation, protect everyone and everything, but at the same time, when there is a problem, do everything that everyone likes. It's it's impossible. Right. And so I, I don't know. I don't well I I'm going to take the stance I don't agree with being able to just give maximum culpability to the utility when they did everything right on their part. Now we're I'm making that assumption, but so far there hasn't been anything released that said that they had lines that needed repair or right it's something that happened and we're sorry that it did, but this was high wind and that's just the way it is. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's becoming such a reoccurrence, wildfires, that it's getting next to impossible to get any kind of insurance for this kind of stuff. Well, and, and then the argument also, and this was their argument, uh, 
when we read Cal Fire's position paper on culpability, PG&E asserts that there was a poor fire response, which is what exacerbated the fire to get to the size it got. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. And so then you say, well, is that true? Because then should 100% of the culpability be in PG&E's hands? Or do you just go with proximal cause? You started it, so therefore you have a responsibility for everything that happens after that. You know? Um, well, again, if it happens in, let's say, an unaccessible canyon, right? even if you're the best fire crew on the planet, you can't get to it because it's in an inaccessible canyon. Exactly. And then, of course, it's going to grow from there. Well, and then we talk about even like the Thomas fire and then the the mudslide incident in Montecito, which they say, well, that was partly the blame because of the fire. At what point does like PG&E's culpability stop or Edison's culpability stop? You know, because Edison's going to face the same problem down south. Like, do you just blame them for right. everything for the rest of time? I mean, PG&E, they were looking at $17 billion in liability. <laughs> this will, this decision will help them alleviate that problem. So it doesn't matter how much the liability comes down, they're going to pass the buck. Right. They, so, so then you're just paying. I, uh, okay. For me, that, that, that's, that's the most, well, maybe not the it's most. It's almost insult at that point. To what? To what? To the people. Right? It's almost better if you don't make them culpable. Because it's more of an insult to say, yeah, yeah, you're going to owe 18 billion, John, but you can go ahead and pass that down to the yeah. same people we're trying to recoup. Right. Like, <laughs> I think what's at that point, it's insulting to the rate pair. To, to, so I pulled up from Think Progress in September uh, of this year. They had an article that said, consumer advocates complained that state lawmakers are more concerned about how wildfires could harm shareholders of utility companies like PG&E, and how that change in law would raise electricity prices for the company's customers. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm piggybacking off of this idea we're talking about that one of the major frustrations, right, is that they're going to pass this cost on to the consumers of the, of the service. Right. And then next I, I read in, I think, the original article that, that kind of sparked this whole, no pun intended, <laughs> Spark this but whole uh, debate from ABC7. So the legislation also includes a plan for the state to spend a billion dollars over the next five years to reduce wildfire risk, which will come from California's greenhouse gas reduction fund. That fund is made up of money that oil refineries, large factories, and other polluters pay to buy credits at state auctions, permitting them to emit greenhouse gas. And please help me where I'm wrong in, think, in, in thinking of the absurdity of this. People really don't like... That PG&E is passing on costs because of something like this. Right. Yet, when it comes to carbon credits, do you oh, think oil companies right. like magically take it out of their own profits to pay for those carbon credits? People, they got to realize that your gas at the pump, your natural gas, fill in the blank, got marginally increased in price because you're paying for the carbon credit. Well, it, it, we talked about we talk about this almost on every episode. It's the Secondary tertiary effects, of right? Course. So we could even go to the gas tax. Truckers and companies are going to spend more on fuel, and that price is not just going to come out of nowhere. 
or that that payment, it's going to be translated to the cost of goods and services. That's right. So we actually end up paying for it over and over and over, not just in what we're paying to fuel our own cars. Thomas Sowell had, I was watching a clip, he had a great point. And we've talked about the idea of this on the show, but he had a great point. There's car registration tax, right? Correct. Does your car drive itself down to the DMV, pull out the car's checkbook, and write the check for that tax? (laughs) No, you do. But it's a car registration tax. A car, like a corporation, whatever, is this fictional entity that there's ultimately someone standing behind to pay the tax or bear the burden of the cost. Same with PG&E, same with the oil companies. It's just, it's always going to be a pass-through. You can, you can swizzle it or make yourself feel better that it's for carbon credits or something. And I don't, I don't really see the line item, to your point, Louie. I don't see the line item when I fill up at the tank. But every time you fill your tank up at the gas station, you are funding the carbon credits that you think you're sticking it to them right. for having to buy. Right. You're not. It ultimately gets translated to the consumer all the time. All the time. And here comes the stat of the day. PG&E uh, estimates that customers would pay an extra $5 per year for every $1 billion in bonds issued. There you go. Stat of the day. So It's a small number. It's a small number, but remember when I said it was $17 billion that they were looking at? Right. <laughs> 17 times 5 Quick. is what you're saying? Yeah. Mm. Per year. So break it down by... 75 bucks. Yeah. Eh. No, I'm sorry. 85 bucks. I'm just of the mindset that I think we just need to accept that there's certain risk. With great reward comes great risk, right? Usually. And and there's risk in getting electricity to every nook and cranny of the state in a fire-prone state. At the very least, right? On the last episode, we talked about a lot of stuff, a lot of bond measures, a lot of expenditures, especially the gas tax, that I'm paying this tax and it's not actually going to that thing, the roads that I'm affecting and and helping to keep those up and improve them. At least you can square this, that the 85 bucks I'm paying is going to the electricity company (laughs) so that they can maintain, you know, it's like, it's still in the same world versus I'm going to get charged more by PG&E so I can help build a cruise ship somewhere or some, you know, some totally unrelated item. Right. Well, and then you wonder some of that. Yeah. Well, I won't get into that, but rabbit hole, the rabbit hole. I don't know. Beat it up. Don't follow the white rabbit. All right. We're going to keep it. In the world of fire, this was an interesting story from a couple of weeks ago, literally. Verizon throttled fire department's unlimited data during California wildfire, and unlimited is in quotes for sarcasm. Santa Clara Fire paid Verizon for unlimited data, but suffered from heavy throttling until the department paid Verizon more, according to to uh, their declaration and emails between the fire department and Verizon that were submitted as evidence in this case. The throttling recently affected OES 5262, which is, I think, one of their command trailers, a fire department vehicle that is deployed to large incidents as a command and control resource and is used to track, organize, and prioritize routing of resources from around the state and country to the sites where they are most needed. 
Uh, let's see. It coordinated all local government resources deployed to the Mendocino Complex fire up there by Clear Lake up in NorCal. Uh, the vehicle has a device that uses a Verizon SIM card for Internet access. In the midst of their response to the Mendocino Complex fire, uh, County Fire discovered the data connection for OES 5262 was being throttled by Verizon, and data rates had been reduced to one two hundredth or less than the previous speeds. These reduced speeds severely interfered with the OES's ability to function effectively, and uh, the IT staff communicated directly with Verizon via email about the throttling, requesting it be immediately lifted for public safety purposes. And then Verizon basically responded and said, well, you got to contact the billing department, and then once they get that straight, and then you contact here, here this. Here comes, here comes. They here got goes. punted around just like a normal user. This was an, this is an interesting story to me because we're seeing the the crux of public safety utilizing private enterprise right. to make something happen. Yes. And the private enterprise is saying, well, you got to pay just like anybody else. Right. They're not putting special rec- uh, restrictions right. on this entity. And then you've got government saying, "This is we declared this an emergency. Therefore, we have some special rights to your private enterprise mm-hmm. and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And... It's it's interesting. I, I don't I get where, hey, we have lives in the balance. We gotta use the internet. You own the internet. But then I get, well, yeah, we do own the internet and you're a user just like anybody else. Yeah. But you get in uh in 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 a lot of situations when say the fire department comes to the school and declares an emergency. The fire department now owns the school for all intents and purposes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Right? They okay. they commandeer it, if you will. I get your... They okay. want to commandeer the internet, do you? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, you could, this goes a bunch of different ways. I know I see my what you're, libertarian I mean, friend here. No, no. I'm I, curious I, what you have to say. I understand what you're getting at. I mean, some natural... And I'm not saying that's the right path. Of course. But I see a bunch of rabbit holes. Um, yeah, you're, you're basically making the argument, or playing devil's advocate, or whatever. Right. That... In certain circumstances, declared a state of emergency, rules shift. Rules should shift, right? On one hand, I can't, I'm not going to say that I can't square that up, but at the same time, to do it dynamically or expect without prior contact or said, or sort of said contract with Verizon. That that's a little. I would have to say that's a little unfair to have thought that they should just have gotten that or understood that, you know, in the midst of this crisis without prior. Did you sign discussion. the contract? Well, one thing I'll say too is Verizon is, and this is just anecdotally, but it's probably right. Verizon is is I think the largest provider of broadband to public safety. Oh, so whether well, that's the computers awesome, in our cars and they things have awesome like that. coverage, right? So right. that would make sense that they would because public safety is in all sorts of areas sometimes that are. And, and I feel like they've kind of made that a niche. Like they have a lot of government contracts, so it's not like they're rookies to this. Uh, it's not like you're on, you know, Cricket Wireless or something like that. <laughs> no, did did yeah. they just get a, a a a black eye from this because it was the firefighters? You know, normally they would have throttled it down, or maybe they made a. A quiet ex- I exception. I think what happened with Verizon was they issued a statement pretty quick that said, yeah, we screwed up. Right. I and, remember that. And admitted culpability to it. And so then it was like, okay, well, we're going to drive it in even harder because it's not like Verizon saying it didn't happen. 
They admitted that it happened and they admitted it was handled poorly. And now, so now it's just, you know, blood in the water. You also have the topic of net neutrality that's been spinning I got around. It. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got to bring that one up. That, that, that to me is just really, I found it irresponsible in the article. Oh, so. Okay. So this Ars Technic article, it's, there's a sentence in here that says, quote, Verizon's throttling was described in fire department emails beginning June 29th of this year, just weeks after the FCC's repeal of net neutrality rules took effect. Just weeks. Give me a break. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a cell phone plan. I'm on the same plan that I've had for three years, maybe, maybe right, four. Yeah. Throttling has, the concept of throttling has existed that whole time. I remember throttling existing even maybe 10 years ago. Right. You have a certain amount of data. That was kind of a way that they originally, if I remember right, they originally tried to entice you of, we won't stop your data after you've used your two gigabytes. We'll just give you three G speeds. Right. Which is unusable these days. Of course, that may be. That had had nothing to do with the fact that the big bad Trump administration and the FCC chair removed the net neutrality. That sort of sentencing, uh, th- that sort of sentence in this article, that's just absurd. I don't see how that had anything to do with it at all. What's your feelings on the use of the word unlimited when it's not truly unlimited? Yeah, right. Like, right. was there an asterisk? <laughs> well, <laughs> and, were there parentheses? Well, and this is where I, I have a problem with it. I get that every company can do its own thing, and you, you are agreeing to use their system. Right. You're a user of somebody right. else's equipment. Right. I don't like the misdirection on terms because not everybody's tech savvy like well, us. I will agree. I totally agree and with you. If my mom sees unlimited, she assumes unlimited. And I'm kind of tired of the asterisk on it. Don't call it unlimited then. At least be honest and upfront. You I know, think what they're, they're going with the unlimited, what they're saying is unlimited at the speed. But it's not usable. No. It's, you, can, you can call it whatever you want. But the, the fact is, is when you go from unlimited and then you get throttled down to 2G speeds and you can't load the modern internet on the connection you've got, it's not usable and it's not unlimited anymore. So at least, look, I agree, you can do whatever you want with your system, but at least be honest because I'm paying a fee to use it. It's kind of like we did with the airfare. You know, a couple of years yeah. ago, it was the price you, you see online is what you pay. Yeah. Not once you get to check out, they tacked on 70 other fees. Oh, right. Yeah. Now they've got the number you see when you go to price check is the, the number out the door because people are getting swindled by fees. I, I think that's a good thing. I don't mind paying it, but tell me what I'm paying for. Yeah, and I think... And I shouldn't have to read a, a quarter-inch thick document of size 5 font. We've talked, we talked about it on this show a lot, and it, and it seems very applicable right here. Obviously, I do, and I think you guys do, love the free market, but the free market only works best on the transparency and access to the information so someone can make a decision. Right. And that's exactly, I think, what you're speaking to, is if it's difficult to assess what what you have actually purchased or bought or own, things get a little murkier. It gets trickier. Well, and then we go back to, is the internet a utility? Yeah. Right? I think this is a case of... How much comes out of the spigot? Is it? Well, I, this is an interesting case because it's not um, John at home streaming Netflix, right? It's this goes a little back to your everything now relies on yeah. the internet, yeah. Uh, especially as safety is concerned. I mean, that's how you order resources. This is maybe a really stupid question, but what what prevents 
maybe they've tried. Maybe Verizon doesn't want to enter that discussion. What would what logistics would prevent the 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 fire department or Cal Fire from just hey look, I know you don't have the sort of plan we're looking for. We truly are looking for an unlimited data plan. Obviously, that'll cost more than your standard fifteen gig plan. What 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 market value do you put on that plan per month? Why couldn't they? A special negotiation, right? Of a plan. They do have that, but, but what I what I'm going to get at is, at some point, somebody did read this and said, "Yeah, this is the plan we want. We could have gone with a more extensive plan, but it would have cost more money." And the unions or the firefighters who vote for this said, "No, nope, this is good." Well, the fire the the line firefighters have no choice. I okay, mean, no, no, like that, right, well, no, no, right, no. Right. I'm just kind of saying uh, when they were the negotiating, people, yeah. the, the, when they the were negotiating folk. the contract, somewhere, somewhere down the line, they went, "This is the contract. We have these different options. Which ones do you want to go with?" Well, and it is essentially. I mean, we do this. I, I don't know. We the, play this game every in our own lives all the time. Do I want this product? Or the higher tier product, or sure. the cheap crap from China product. Sure, right. But in my small understanding of how it is, is that is essentially how it is for government entities, where they are supposed to have an unlimited plan, and that's what they pay for. If you take just your average city, they've probably got a hundred sims on the system. Okay, between yeah. all the staff phones, yeah. all the computers that are in police cars, fire trucks. Uh, all the tablets that are used on scene now. Sure. You're talking about a giant broadband bill. And typically what it is, is it's unlimited and it's just everybody's in one pot. It's, it's not feasible to have a hundred of course, a separate contracts. Right. Uh, uh, of course. And so it's also, I think subtracting ourselves out of our personal plan and looking at a more corporate. Yeah. Same thing for corporations. I mean, they're not, paying for like a data plan for everybody. They're paying for some giant enterprise plan. And maybe that's the answer is maybe to your point, Bobby, maybe somebody way back whenever it was who signed the contract dropped (laughs) dropped the ball in that there there was the understanding that it was a negotiated, unlimited, fully contract, and it wasn't. I, I don't know. It just seems like, to your point, it sounds like what I was proposing uh, is done all the time, at least like in other p- police situations or in other fire situations. Well, and I'll say too, it's slow to roll out because the federal government's involved, but there's this broadband network called FirstNet that's rolling out and it's supposed to be basically just for public safety. And it uses AT&T's backbone, but it's broadband being provided just specifically for public safety. So maybe that is the answer, is that you just got to roll out your own deal and not rely on private enterprise, you know? I mean, if you can't get the service you want, just create your own service, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's, already being, so. it's already being rolled out. Yeah. I mean, it just hasn't got all the way to this side of the country. I'm just I'm just saying somewhere down the line, Phil dropped the ball, <laughs> and he, uh, he screwed it up for everybody. I know about that. All right. Here's one about food. Now we're talking. I don't get hungry right now. Tamales, anyone? Yes. <laughs> New California law legalized the sale of homemade food. Jackpot. 
in case you didn't know, it's illegal to just sell homemade food. <sighs> Assembly Bill 626 defines what qualifies as uh, basically made-at-home food. Uh, several restrictions for enterprising home cooks. No raw oysters. Food must be cooked and sold on the same day. And no more than one full-time equivalent employee. Proprietors can earn no more than $50,000 a year from the enterprise. Supporters of the bill, including its author, Assemblyman Eduardo Garcia, argue that the law is aimed at providing protections and opportunities for members of historically marginalized communities such as women, immigrants, and people of color, according to a legislative analysis of the bill. However, California State Association of Counties and the County Health Executives Association of California argued that the law could put diners at risk by potentially exposing them to pathogen-tainted foods served by unqualified preparers, according to the bill's legislative analysis. The CDC estimates that 48 million Americans, or one in six, will get sick with food poisoning every year. Oh my God, it's an epidemic. I think that's an interesting stat, considering most people probably don't even go get seen for food poisoning. Yeah. Or don't even know they had food poisoning. Right, exactly. Like they just tummy. ended up in the bathroom. Exactly. And didn't feel good. Yeah. Now the next day, right they feel better. Me. Oh, God. <laughs> they didn't realize it was bad Chinese food. I thought this was interesting. It seems like a fairly benign story, but I think it speaks to a lot of principles. True. Um, you can't just new, earn a dollar. I learned a new term, micro entrepreneurship <laughs> micro entrepreneurship uh you can't make more than 50 grand a year we're gonna stupid. limit how much money you can make stupid and uh we can't allow people to just make their own decisions on what they choose to eat the other one too that i thought was funny is amazing they uh they kind of found the coolness and the power of the free market it's like <laughs> we will we really want to help these people okay no this is great you realize you're helping them by letting them sell things in a marketplace, right? How you don't feel like we need to do more of that in other right. areas? Well, okay. so are go ahead. Are they all of a sudden going to come out of the shadows as it were? Are they going to get a business license and go to a food prep That's university? where this really comes out. Sure. Of, sure right? This whole sure. thing is because licensing. you didn't get a license. Licensing. Right. Because I grew up in LA, especially at night in, you know, the nightclub bar areas there's tons of little kind of street vendors bacon wrap dog. hot dogs mm-hmm. i mean that's an la thing right you get hot dogs cooked on a shopping cart nobody cares about the pathogens at two in the morning when you're you know you got a buzz on or there's this dude that used to sell these homemade tamales out of look like an ice cream cart but it kept it insulated with heat mm-hmm. and they were like some of the best tamales you'd have and they're a dollar a piece and you'd buy 20 of them and just Pilotes. Dude, yeah, or, or mayonnaise corn, right? So <laughs> mayonnaise corn. <laughs> but but you or the fruta con chile. Those are good. I feel Very like well. though, I know what I'm getting myself into. Let me make the decision. Whoa. <laughs> right? It's a lot I of responsibility. I'm, I'm buying a, a bacon wrapped hot dog with bacon that's a God. little suspect and still floppy and it's cooked on a shopping cart, but Can damn I- it smells good. The other thing that, that that comes to mind when I was reading through this, and it speaks to the point about how, you know, government, they're obviously taking the tact here like, okay, we're going to allow you to do this, right? <laughs> um, because, you weren't allowed before. Because, because our previous setup and structure 
it's there for a purpose and a reason, and it's really good. Um, Chipotle? Right. Like, it's not like the normal way of doing things is just so good and so perfect that protects everyone from everything always. Right. So, and that's not to say, like, well, if that doesn't work, then forget everything. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm not, I'm not advocating for anarchy. But don't come at it with the attitude of, well, we know this is going to be a problem in this area, but we'll, we'll allow it. Because everything else over here that we know and that we've done and we've set up, it's good. Well, and if I'm going to eat homemade products, I understand the risks. And if I have an issue, I'll just come after you personally. Right. Like, I don't need the government. I'll find you. <laughs> no, well, well, right. Right. I, I'm making the assessment for myself. Uh, do you have that clip? Yeah, the uh, uh, the lady. Yeah, so, so this lady got hung up, and this is pretty interesting. It was like a family type of group. You know, everybody was friendly. Everybody would share recipes, um, share photos of what they made for dinner. And so after I was in the group for a while, I just thought, this is cool. I like it. So I started, you know, posting pictures of like, hey, look what I made for dinner. And people would be like, you should tell that. I would totally buy that if you made it. You know, so I did. And just um, about a year into it, um, I guess the district attorneys from my city of Stockton um, had a sting operation and they had investigators buying um, undercover from us sellers and I happened to be one that they um, pressed charges against. So I was facing um, two misdemeanors in the beginning. They had a sting operation. City of Stockton. Unbelievable. A sting operation for a lady selling homemade food for the past year and facing two misdemeanors by the DA. I mean, it's like Jack Bauer Come style. I know. This is this is high level this is, stuff. This is all we got going on in Stockton. A bankrupt bankrupt city. Freaking bankrupt city. Well, not sure if we can, cash. Yeah, not full, sure if we full can, of crime. We can't yeah. cover pension payments uh, into the future, but <laughs> forget that. We got someone selling food illegally. Definitely not the. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say not the safest city in California. Fair, right? And this is what investigators and the DA have to do: is prosecute this poor lady for selling homemade food to people. And they don't even say that anybody got sick. Like it's not like there was fallout. Right, uh, <laughs> right. They just put she together a sting just... operation, like it was a drug buy. Bought you know the cupcakes and then hooked her up. Like, come on. She was operating outside the bounds of the control and the like, nice little neat structure that the government had set up. Oh, it's so, ridiculous. So that's a problem. Um, well, let me let me yeah. let me talk about these little uh, cart vendors that we all you know the. The hot dog vendors, the fruta vendors, whatever you want to call. When, you, when you're uh, when you're uh, leaving the stadium and you're going, damn, that smells really good. Those those cart vendors at the end of the night, they all pile into a van and take the car away. It's all an organized effort. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you know, hang around in your downtown area long enough and you'll see it. You know, the van comes around or a truck or whatever have you, and they just ramp that sucker right back up. And the way it works really is that that cart is built by a real business owner and it is leased out right to that to that person. There's usually a guy at the, the top uh-huh. who's got his army of vendors that he's dropped off in some area. Exactly. And then they go out and they pick them back up five hours later. Exactly. Yeah. 
So they they know what they're doing. They they've been uh, well organized. They're good entrepreneurship. Make some good money. Hopefully they don't gouge them too har- uh, too harshly. But it's a business. Well, this whole thing is a play for you didn't pay the permits and the taxes, and that's yeah. all it's about. That's exactly right. This this whole this whole notion it's of a licensure and uh, about again, this shows my bias, but. I don't care. Bowing to the Almighty that is the hander outer and giver of the licenses, you know. Right. Give me a break. That person who gets great joy in being able to deny somebody. Bingo. Not to mention the <laughs> revenue aspect, right? Oh, totally. Licenses don't get issued for free. Give me a break. No. Um, you know how much work goes into giving you a license? No, Bobby, it's off oh. the charts. <laughs> Control P. <laughs> fill in the name and hit control p hold on though that assumes you're awake right. see because yeah. you might be in your four-hour nap during the normal uh bureaucrat work day right right oh that's only so, the dmv so that's while you're public health <laughs> so while you're awake you might be able to hit control p but if you're sleeping hold on i gotta wait till i wake up i remember my my little sister got a part-time job at a smoothie place okay and in order to be employed at the smoothie place, you had to get a food handler's license. That food right. handler's license cost $25. And she goes, um, can I borrow 25 bucks so I can work at this place? I'll pay you back. And, and this kind of go, this goes back to what we were talking about, how California, what was it like 60% of all the jobs require some kind of certification right, right. or licensure to operate. Oh, for sure. And a great majority of those don't, should not require any kind of certification, but it creates a barrier to entry into the workforce, right? Because absolutely, your sister what was like her first job, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, she's Kid. trying to just earn ten bucks, and she's got to come up with twenty five bucks to buy a damn food handler license, right? And so now she's got to borrow it from Bobby, and Bobby's never going to see that money again. She ever pay Jeez, you back? If I remember no. right, this was also the conversation Speaking that was of what, the source text her right now. The conversation that was the source of our. You know, should doctors be licensed? But if yeah, I remember right, but that's but, a whole but, different. No, I understood. I don't want to go. We don't need to go there again. But in a general sense, you go to which doctors? Yeah, and whatnot. no, jeez. Oh, again, in a general sense, that's right. Um, it's just back to this. It's back to the assumed power. Who thinks they have it? Who we've abdicated it to over time? And these sorts of issues, I think, are just continued reminders of where that balance of power actually exists. There's a, uh, the, uh, firefighter association I belong to. We do a uh, cotton candy at some of the city events. We'd mm. spin cotton candy okay. and there's about four different layers of things we have to pay for <laughs> to be able to serve cotton candy to people. It's the, it's the insurance, it's the food handlers permit. It's then you got to get signed off because you're in the food prep business now, spinning cotton candy. And again, it's these added layers that cut into the bottom line. And all it is is some guy who comes in, looks around, okay, thanks, here you go, tears off a piece of paper and continues on. And you're like, well, but let me what, guess. what no, was the point of this? But let me guess, there was no money involved, right? Did you have to pay for it? Oh, of course. No. Absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. Do you, do you happen to you. think? Do you happen to think that that was the point? Right to the county. Was that the point of the whole thing, you think? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe. Wow. Kind of like Diesel's getting a smog check. Weird. Did you uh, grease any palms? No. Of course Come on. not. No, you could tell me. 
No, yeah. there's only listeners here. I when I uh, when I was an EMT down in LA County, uh, if you were to work within the city of LA, just doing interfacility transport, so taking grandma or grandpa from hospital A to hospital B or whatever, you had to go get a Department of Transportation permit because you were a vehicle for hire, just like a taxi cab. So you'd go down to DOT, LA City DOT, and you'd buy this hundred and like fifty dollar permit for the year, personally. You're standing in line, a bunch of EMTs standing in line with a bunch of cabbies getting your vehicle for hire license because you're basically just a horizontal taxi as an ambulance. And you're like, what is the point of it? There's no test. There's nothing. You just show up, show them your EMT cert, tell them the company you work for, and they punch out this really homemade looking laminated piece of paper just to have the luxury of driving an ambulance in LA city. And you're like, and this is on top of the licenses that the ambulance company's got to get to be in the city. And you just have layer upon layer of license and certification. And before you know it, the system's been paid out tenfold, you know, on the backs of the owners and the employees. And that's all this is money grab. Oh, that that's how it strikes me. It's all a revenue deal. Really? You think it's a money grab? I thought it was a hearts and minds issue. They they really care about your health. Okay. Did you have another clip, John? I do. This this um so as you guys know, I'm a big Milton Friedman fan. And he's actually bringing up a point. It kind of takes us in a in a slightly different direction, but but a similar topic. In this clip he's actually talking about the FDA and more in terms of drugs. But but I think the same thing applies we were just talking about revenue, but I also think this sort of issue surfaces the another mindset of the bureaucrat into why they do what they do or rather don't do things. Here's, let me play it. Well, you put yourself in the position of an, of an, of an FDA bureaucrat considering whether to approve, let's take the simplest case, whether to approve a proposed new drug. There are two kinds of mistakes you can make from the point of view of the public interest. You can make the mistake of approving a drug that turns out to have very harmful side effects. That's one mistake. That will harm the public. Or you can make the mistake of not approving a drug which would have very beneficial effects. That's also harmful to the public. If you're such a bureaucrat, what's going to be the effect on you of those two mistakes? To me, that's so critical because Again, it begins to reveal, or I think it, it does a great job of bringing up often what underlies this this group, the government, the bureaucrats. They're thinking right. in terms of not wanting these people to do this. Um, they think that they're going to be able to create this, like we talked about earlier, this environment of, of nothing can go wrong. And they don't see... Let's use the example of the gentleman who mentioned uh, the, the um, who mentioned in this article about if we give the, if we let them I, the, the original the originator of the bill I think wanting people to be able to do this so uh, because it helps the marginalized the lower income right. etc. So those are effects that I think the bureaucrat doesn't know and probably can't really take credit for. Having done yeah, yeah, yeah. as much as they can, preventing 
or or stopping someone from getting sick. And, and it's this it's this dichotomy of I can't get I can't extract from you. And we talk about this on the podcast. If I prevent something in the future from happening, that's not as valuable to me as a bureaucrat to get reelected as is me passing something, me doing something after a problem has happened, then I can show you now how I'm going to fix the problem that's occurring. Right, because you see a direct payout. Exactly. And so, so these sorts of situations, again, they highlight the easier road to typically go for a bureaucrat to say, nope, historically, no, we're not going to allow these people to cook food because if I were the one to come up with that and allow that and things went bad, I got a problem. I might okay. have a problem right? in terms of getting reelected, in terms of blame coming to me. But if I don't allow that to happen in the first place, sure, I may not have allowed some people to earn some money that would be helpful to them, but that wouldn't have helped me get reelected anyways. So why not just stick with the status quo? Well, and I have to believe too, you know, we talk about you can only bubble wrap society so much. Exactly. Right? They're, they're looking for guarantees. They don't exist. They don't exist. And I wonder if the benefit of allowing these disenfranchised groups to actually make a dollar outweighs the amount of people that could potentially get sick. Right? Is there a better net benefit to the amount well, of prosperity you can create exact, versus that, the chance that you might get somebody sick? That is, that's exactly the element that that private enterprise does all the time that government is horrendous at and that's the cost benefit analysis right right you said it earlier john like if someone gets sick right now at a well-established chipotle bingo do i go well that darn politician promised me that i wouldn't get sick but i got sick anyway the politician is not going to be held accountable for right the street vendor that's right they're never going to be held accountable this was a feel-good operation. They weren't getting get money to begin with, so who cares? They right. they scored political points today. That's all it was. Well, and you can you know, uh, LA County's got the grading system for restaurants. You get an A, B, C, or whatever from the health department. Oh yeah, a C doesn't get you shut down. Right. It's just infor- it's back to our flow of information. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you're better informed with the letter in right. theory. In theory, and, and you wonder how many home cooks. Are going to do worse than a C, right? Because oh, a man. C doesn't get your average, doesn't get a restaurant shut down, right? And a C is pretty bad. That's like vermin infestation and everything else. So, and people still go and eat at those places. You know, it's right. it's the joke. Well, that's the hole in the wall with the best, you know, whatever right. hamburger. You didn't expect it to get an A, you know, right? So, I I don't see I see a I see a better benefit to allowing this kind of stuff to go through. And let people like learn how to be an entrepreneur. And you know what? Maybe they get so awesome that they go from this uh, allotment of one FTE and a fifty thousand dollar deal to an actual business. You know, if it allows somebody to use this as a platform to jump off and establish a legit restaurant, that's pretty awesome. Boy, that kind of sounds like like a, a cool fundamental aspect of like this country and. You know, you got to buy yourself some bootstraps first. Wow, you can get pulled up by them. It's the American way. It's the American way. That's all I have this week. And anything? No, poor James Woods. I do. Just 
Did I, you I go into the archives? I went into the archives, but I don't. I don't know if we can even play a. We can't even play the intro clip. I think. I think we almost have to read. I'm going to read this with kind of more of a remorseful tone, okay? Because it's hashtag Free James Woods time. But nonetheless, this is a timely one. I felt because it has to do with uh, Christine Ford and uh, okay. Oh the, yeah, the Kavanaugh thing. Yeah. So Mark Dice he writes Brett Kavanaugh's accuser can't remember what year the alleged assault took place, whose party it took place at or where specifically it supposedly happened. If such a thing did occur, those aspects would be seared into her memory crystal clear. She sounds mentally ill. So that's what Mark Dice wrote. James Wood responds, College professor Christine Ford can't remember the year her assault happened, but she can remember that she was 15. Chances are she won't be joining the math department anytime soon. Very true. But I'm... (laughs) Hashtag free James Woods. Hashtag free James Woods. Liberal Twitter. Um, well, that's all I got, guys. That's come. it. The time has come to end the episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. New episodes every week, Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. And Bobby, what do they need to do? They need to burn it all down, damn it. There you go. Time to start over. Bye-bye. <laughs>